had a brief spell in uh, in the Air Force at the time. You know, there was uh, uh, military service, so I was there for just over a year. Did you did you fly planes? I was in the Air Force. Never <laughs> never allowed me to fly a plane. You know, I liked mine too much. Welcome to the Lush Life Podcast. I'm your drinking companion, Susan Schwartz, and I bring you the how-to guide for living life one cocktail at a time. Thanks to my mother's love of martinis, the first words I spoke were shaken, not stirred, and I've been obsessed by cocktails ever since. Together, we'll learn from bartenders, brand ambassadors, distillers, and others why certain drinks are popular in certain cultures, how to make the perfect old-fashioned, when to shake and when to stir, and so much more. Hear that sound? It's time to cozy up to the bar and let the fun begin. His first job and he was set for life. Our guest today, Gino Nardella, Master Sommelier for the Stafford London, never had to go anywhere else. Today we find out why he stayed for so very long. Trust me, if you've ever been to the Stafford, you would know why. Well, I, I, I was born in um, South Italy, Italy in uh, Puglia, and um, my involvement in the wine business started very early in life, really. Um, the family had vineyards, and therefore I started in the vineyards. Not that I enjoyed, you know, working in the vineyards. Uh, never imagined that later on, you know, they would be my, uh, my profession. Were they winemakers? Um, they were not winemakers, but they, um, they had vineyards, and they used to sell the grapes, uh, you know, to the local uh, cab cooperative. So. Was that their business, your family? It, it was not, actually. Um, my dad was a policeman, but my mom had a sister. You know, they were farmers, and whether we liked it or not, you know, we had to go and help. Did you and, ever want to be a policeman? No, 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 no. That was never my intention, you know, to be a policeman. But and at the same time, I never enjoyed, actually, the call of help, you know, for... Uh, from my aunt, you know, to go and help in the vineyards. That's not what I wanted to do at the time. Uh, I was a teenager and I had other things in my mind, really. Of course, you know. my child really wants to go cut uh, grapes, absolutely, really. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> you want to play. Yes, yes. But, but later on, you know, I went to you know, the catering college and uh, where I did the management. And, uh, was it still uh, in Italy? Still in Italy. And uh, I start, started drinking and enjoying, enjoying wine. And, wait, 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 uh, you're going way too fast. Yes. Now, catering college. Yes, indeed. How yes. come you wanted to go to catering college? I don't know. I thought that it was exciting, learn foreign languages, and um, so I decided not to enroll. And uh, were you? Were you did I you want to be a cook? No, not at all. No. I did management. Yes, mm -hmm. yes. So yes. you were drawn to hospitality. Hospitality, yes. yes. Originally, uh -huh. I, that's what I did. Yes. Mm -hmm. So, how old were you when you were at catering college? Well, I went uh, at the age of uh, after I finished middle school at the age of fifteen. Oh boy! Yes. Uh -huh. And so, what languages did you want to learn? Well, at, at college, we um, I learned English, um, French, and German. Did you, were you thinking then? Uh, I want to travel with these languages. Indeed, that's what I wanted to do. Yes, uh -huh. yes, it was very exciting. You know, to to be able to say a few words at the beginning, and then you know, have a conversation in uh, in a in a different language. So it was, it was very exciting. Yes, that's what I wanted to do. Yes. And so, you did you love catering college when you were there? I did actually. I enjoyed my experience there, and. Um, 
There were happy times, really. Yes, yes. So um, what led you? So where, when you graduated there, with the whole world out yeah. there, where were you thinking you would Indeed. end up? I had a brief spell in, uh, in the Air Force at the time. You know, there was uh, uh, military service, so I was there for just over a year. Did you did you fly planes? I was in the Air Force. Never, <laughs> never allowed me to fly a plane. You know, I liked wine too much. I don't think it was safe. You know. Uh, for me to fly anything, really, uh-huh. you know, but uh, enjoy that. And then decided that it was time for me to leave the country and um, applied, actually, uh, uh, to go to Paris and London. And the first call came from London. And that's why, 40 years later, I'm still in London. Yes. And was it for here at the Stafford? I, I was offered, actually, a job here at the Stafford, believe it or not, yes. That's crazy. As what a were training you doing? manager, yeah. And so what, what did you do as a trainee manager? Well, I, I started here and my first, they, um, they put me in the restaurant, you know, to start with. And uh, I was very fortunate to meet Keith Dougherty, the then uh, master sommelier of the Stafford. And the rest is history, really. <laughs> yes. Did you yeah. think, I want, I want to do that? You... Well, you know, he was um, an, amazing, an amazing person, fascinating, his knowledge. And, uh, and I loved wine, so, uh, you know, it was... Uh, I was infected. You know, Were your parents like, and, uh, oh my goodness, he's... No, not, not at all, not at all. You know, I, I had very modern thinking parents where they allowed the children to do whatever they wanted in the sense that uh, very little intervention as far as we, you know, we didn't stray, you know, too much, you know, so... Mm-hmm. Yeah, all that so wine that, drinking yeah. in the early years did good. <laughs> oh, absolutely. <laughs> Besides, you know, I was born in Italy and wine, the bottle of wine was all, always on the table. In fact, my dad wouldn't start a mill if the water bottle or the wine bottle and bread was missing from the table. He wouldn't even eat? He wouldn't eat. He wouldn't start. So we knew that something was... One of these three items, actually, were missing. Uh-huh. So I love yeah. that. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's it's fascinating. So we always... Very, even when I was very young, I was always allowed, you know, to have a little drop. When I was young, very young, you know, my dad would allow me to actually dip my finger you know, in his uh, wine glass so I could taste it. And later on, he would leave me a little drop that never, unfortunately, never reached my throat. But nevertheless, you know, it was so delicious, yes. And so, what wines yeah. did your family make? Or what, what grapes were there? Well, you know, we, we grew a lot of uh, Nero di Troia in particular, yes, and Trebbiano, yes. Mm-hmm. So white and red. When you found that you wanted to be a sommelier, was was it, was he very welcoming to to that idea? Oh, absolutely! It was very encouraging, and uh, uh, and he helped me. You know, he said, he "said you love wine," he said that's what you should be doing, and um, that's what I did. I followed his uh, his advice. So, I guess yes. what what are the steps to becoming sommelier? Well, at least here at Stafford. Um, well, at Stafford, I mean, we had you know a, a tradition here at the Stafford. We only had the three head sommelier uh, since the fifties, you know, uh, and therefore there is this tradition here, you know, to have always uh, uh, someone very knowledgeable, you know, to run these extensive wine cellars. Um, and Keith, you know, he was an, he wasn't a, a selfish person, you know. He shared all this knowledge with me and encouraged me, you know, to study and find out more. How long and, had he been here? Keith started here in 1972 and uh, left in 1984, and, and it is in 1984 when uh, I actually took over the running of the Stafford Wine Cellars. Mm-hmm. But I, I, um, I graduated, if I may say graduated, I passed my Master uh, Sommelier Diploma in 1981, so I was fairly young at the time, you know, for mm-hmm. a Master Sommelier, yes. 
And um, so tell us about the Stafford Collection. Well, what has well, kept you here all I mean, these years? All, I mean, you guys all stay here well, for absolutely. a long time. First of all, it is a very beautiful hotel and uh, very boutique. Very, you know, we have an amazing clientele. But above all, you know, we have an amazing toy, the wine cellars, that few hotels in the world actually have Burgundian wine cellars like the Stafford, you know, huge cellars, you know, 320 years old, uh, full of some amazing wine. So that's a toy that uh, very few sommeliers actually uh, around the world come boast. Yes. Well, so. the Stafford hasn't been here for that long. No. The so Stafford. how did they happen upon these wine cellars? Well, the wine cellars originally were not built for the Stafford, as the Stafford uh, is just 115 years old. Uh, these cellars uh, were uh, inherited by the Stafford just about just over 100 years ago. But originally they were built for a very wealthy family, uh, the Godolphin, who lived here in, um, in the 16th century. And, uh, but the reason why they survived exactly the way they were built is because they are in, in the right place in London as, um, as if 100 years, 200, 300 years ago, you know, uh, wine was enjoyed by the wealthy people only. The rest of the country didn't drink wine at all. You know, we have to wait until the late 60s, uh, 1960s, 1970s, when the rest of the population started, you know, enjoying wine. But prior to that, you know, only wealthy people enjoyed fine claret, burgundy and fine riesling. And this was uh, right in the heart of London, very close to the royal palaces. There were the people that lived there that uh, enjoyed wine and therefore the need for fine wine cellars. So there has been yes. wine here continuously. Absolutely, for 330 years, 320, 330 years. So when the Stafford came, uh, when the Stafford was built here, what wines were left here? Well, I, I personally don't know. You know, not many bottles, I believe, <laughs> because uh, in those days, bottling was still done in, in our wine cellars. Oh, you know, they would actually uh-huh. import, you know, barrels of claret or burgundies and, and, and actually do the bottling here. As you can see, the cellars are full of uh, uh, utensils from the days when bottling was done with the corking machine filters and other things. Um, so when you got here, I assume that the, the clients of the Stafford and the restaurants have changed their taste oh, over the years. Yes, very conservative until, you know, the late 70s. But what does conservative mean? Conservative meaning that uh, red was uh, Bordeaux and the burgundy white was burgundy, white burgundy. and So and French, Riesling. French, French. And a Riesling, a Riesling right. from oh, Germany. Germany. You know, so French and very German. Popular. Absolutely, yes. But then again, I mean, uh, this was just the beginning of the late 70s when, uh, when London was changing, when uh, um, uh, people discovered, you know, good eating and good drinking. Yes, and, and, and the Stafford, we were very avant-garde of the Stafford. In fact, in mid-70s, we introduced South African wine, Australian wine, Californian wines already. So, And how about Italian? And, and Italians, there were, they, they were some Italians here, yeah, but if I can recall, not of very high qualities. You know, was, I think that for the Italian wine, really, uh, um, to find a place in our cellars, you know, the right place in our cellars, we... We had to wait another most probably 10, 15 years, yes. Were you their champion? Well, not necessarily. <laughs> I, um, I didn't think that at the time uh, Italy actually made outstanding wines. You know, they were making wine for the local palates, mm-hmm. you know, uh, following, you know, the ancient or the, 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 the granddad recipe, you know, which was not necessarily the right recipe for the particular varietals, you know. So where do you see it going now? I think it's, uh, you know, it's very, London is very exciting, first mm. of all, because uh, 
there are no other most probably city in the world where we're exposed to so many wines and so much good food. So there's been a revolution in the last 40, 45 years in London because London was what it is today. Yes. There were no fine, no fine restaurants, no fine dining and no fine drinking. I mean, having a glass of wine in a pub you know, was very dangerous. You risked your palate <laughs> for the next two or three weeks. Yes. There wasn't the wine culture. You know, did not exist. Obviously, it's it's changed from the French and Germans to the New World wines. So, do you see a future where uh, you know they're growing wine, they're making wine all over the world, indeed, right? Pretty much do, now. Yes. It, do you see a place where you're not expecting wine to come from that that might make wines that you may have here in the future? Do you think now everyone is making wine, well, it just gets better It's already better. happening, really. You know, mm-hmm. there are very few countries nowadays that don't have vineyards. I mean, vines are very sturdy plants, and therefore they'll grow very successfully all over the world, you know, with very few exceptions, most probably in, uh, in the desert and in, uh, in the polar regions. You know, we have seen, you know, who thought that, um, I don't know, China would have, you know, amazing vineyards, uh, and start making you know amazing wines, and here we go. Now we we have uh, China coming very strong onto the markets, uh, India, and so many other countries. We go with the Eastern European country, for instance. You know where investment is going into the, the vineyards, you know, into the wine cellars, and uh, very shortly we will see actually some great great wines, you know, uh, coming from those countries. How long it's, do you think it'll take before well, we see that? I, I think that you know uh, most probably in the next 10, 15, 20 years we will start talking about those countries they are just mentioned as we are talking most probably about most of the European countries like we talk about Portugal Spain you know uh, Italy and, and so on and the revolution is still going on not necessarily in the new uh, country com- countries coming onto the market but also the old world I mean Spain Italy Portugal Greece you know we, we see things actually moving on, moving on continuously very exciting extremely exciting at the moment yes so what has been the most exciting one that you've you've tasted well for me in, in actually, recent new times well, not necessarily recently <laughs> but uh, I, I remember when uh, when for the first time actually I've tasted the new world wine like California uh, Australian wines uh, and, and uh, South American wine where such was the intensity of the varietals that, uh, that you know we had to readjust our palate for instance for Cabernet Sauvignon you know if I can mention I don't know if Cabernet Sauvignon from Cunuaro in the mid 70s you know for us for us until then you know Cabernet Sauvignon was uh, was Bordeaux you know and uh, trying you know Cabernet Sauvignon from uh, from the new world at the time was uh, a completely new experience we had to readjust actually our tasting buds and you know, you, it took us you, a little time yeah. did you work with the chefs say I guess and please tell me how it works, um, is that you tried this new wine, which you were like, oh, my God, this is incredible. Do you then go to the chef and say, look, there's this wine. We need to match it with something. I mean, is that how, is that how it works? Well, I mean, you know, we always have a discussion, especially when we change menus, and we still do now. The chef will change the menu in September. The chef, again, will change it again in the spring or in the summer, you know, in order to use, you know, the fresh produce. We always have a discussion. You know, we see what he has in mind, the dishes, and we act accordingly. Not that we can reshape the entire uh, wine cellars, you know, every time, you know, we change the menus, but we do like to introduce new things every time, exciting things. You know, it's wonderful. Yes, we do work together indeed. Yes. Well, I want to try some of yes. that. Can we go up and try? Oh, absolutely. Let's go to the bar and have a glass of wine. Yes. All right. Perfect. Great, thanks.
You might have thought that since we were talking wine that we wouldn't have a cocktail of the week. That would just be silly. This cocktail is called the White Mouse, and it has a history all of its own, which you can read about on alushlifemanual.com. Start with a shaker and pour in 30 ml of saffron gin. Then add 15 ml of lemon juice and 15 ml of honey. Then add your ice. Shake all the ingredients together, then double strain into a coupe or cocktail glass, and top up with champagne. Garnish with star anise to float. There you have the White Mouse, dedicated to Nancy Wake, the World War II spy who lived at the Stafford until her death. Read all about her, the Stafford, and all the recipes you hear on the podcast at alushlifemanual.com, where you'll also find all the ingredients in our shop. Thanks to Gino for letting me into the Stafford's 320-year-old wine cellar and for treating me to a few sips of his favorites. Next time on a Lush Life podcast, we have another Italian, Danilo Tersigni, general manager of Mr. Fogg's and founder of Seven Hills Gin who also couldn't wait to travel. It might have taken him a while to get to London, but now it's his home. Until next time, bottoms up. Thanks for listening to the Lush Life Podcast, the sister of A Lush Life Manual. For more information and links to everything you heard, plus a bit more, please visit alushlifemanual.com. Always remember the wise words of Oscar Wilde. All things in moderation, including moderation. And always drink responsibly. Okay, I said that last part. Theme music is by Stephen Shapiro and used with permission. Lush Life is produced by Evo Terra. And I'm your hostess, Susan Schwartz. I'll see you at the bar.